Hello, friends. Welcome to our midweek Bible study. Um, we're having a digital lesson um, this week. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll get right in. So as I'm praying, don't just listen. Uh, of course, listening is good. But uh, pray pray, uh, pray along with me uh, that God speaks to our hearts. Father, I pray that you would bless this Bible study as we listen to this. God, as I teach, help me please. Um, as I teach this lesson, God, we need your help uh, to apply this truth to our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to encourage you um, to continue to be faithful to the midweek Bible study. I know the days are getting uh, dark. It's getting dark outside. And uh, by the time you come to midweek Bible study, you know, it's uh, it's already completely dark. And so... Um, we need uh, not only the biblical truth in our life, but we also need the fellowship and the connection with one another. You know, Wednesday is is one of my favorite times of the week. It's obviously a busy day, as it is for you, I'm sure. Um, but um, <clears throat> it just seems like God works in a very unique way when we come together for Bible study. And... Um, Today is going to be a sample. If you've never been to our Bible study before, or perhaps you live somewhere else and they don't have a connection group, or you haven't been to it before, this is a sample. The difference would be, generally, and our folks know this, that as I teach, uh, they have the opportunity for to give feedback. And uh, obviously, it needs to be on topic, and of course, our folks at Sparrow are great about that. But it's really an opportunity to to ask questions and uh, maybe uh, to 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 give some input of something that you see in the passage as well, and uh, and so it, I just want to encourage you to to continue to be faithful and um, so thankful that you guys show up and God does amazing things for me every time we have midweek Bible study. We're going to be talking about the topic today, laughing, determined destiny. We're going to look at one story in our, um, in the passage here. And, um, we're in Genesis chapter number 21. We've been going through the life of Abraham. So these are basic Bible stories that every Christian needs to know. Abraham is one of those characters in the Bible. It is very important for Christians to know who he is for many reasons. But the simplest reason, I think, is because he's mentioned oftentimes in the New Testament. So if you're reading the New Testament, you come across this character, Abraham, and you don't know who he is or what he's done, you may not, you're not going to be able to fully understand the New Testament as well. And so... Um, reading and studying Abraham's story is a part of the of God's revelation to mankind. Um, and so we, we get to the point where Abraham has been led of God to leave his home country. He's been gone for he's got he's 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 gone from his from his original hometown of Ur of the Chaldees from the north, come down into Canaan. He's been there for 25 years. God has promised that he would build uh, Abraham into a great nation, and um, he's promised him a son 
The thing is, is that Abraham is 100 years old at this point. His wife, Sarah, is 90 years old. And yet God performs this incredible miracle of giving them a son whose name is Isaac. So we'll pick up in verse number one and we'll read the portion where Sarah laughs out of joy that God kept his promise. Uh, So Genesis 21, verse 1. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son, Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him, And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh so that all that hear will laugh with me. We looked at last time the fact that God is seen very clearly in the story of Abraham and Sarah in proving that when he makes a promise, he can keep the promise no matter how impossible it may seem. And we studied that in detail last time. I do want to read for you one passage of scripture in Romans chapter number four. And it says in verse um, 18, now we know it's talking about Abraham from verse number 12, verse number 13. Uh, It says, verse 13, for the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So he's talking about Abraham specifically. And then we jump to verse number 18, who against hope believed in hope, man, what a verse, that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. So it's saying, it's describing the fact that physically it was impossible for them to have children. Um, Verse 20, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. And so the kind of the introductory remarks is when we think about Abraham, we need to think about an impossible situation of someone who believed the promise of God, regardless of his situation. And that is so important as a Christian. Why? Because we get to the point where we see that it says in verse six, and Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh so that all that hear will laugh with me. Uh, at first, Sarah laughed in unbelief at God's promise of Isaac. When, when God first came to them and told them, it says in Genesis eighteen thirteen, just a few chapters before, and the Lord said unto Abraham, wherefore did Sarah laugh saying, shall I have a surety bear a child which am old? Then Sarah denied, verse 15, saying, I laughed not for she was afraid. And he said, nay, but thou didst laugh. So when they first received this promise and Sarah first heard this, 
God said you're going to have a child. She laughed. She laughed in unbelief uh, at God's promise. But then later in Genesis 21, 6, which we just read, it says, and Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh so that all that hear will laugh with me. Isn't it an amazing thing that we have a God that when we hear his promises or we hear about something that he can do, at first, all we have is the laughter of unbelief. Like, <laughs> yeah, oh, that's a good one. Oh, okay, yeah, what a great, what a great joke. But given a little bit of faith, God can turn an impossible situation that seems hopeless to the point, it seems hopeless to the point that that hope for the situation seems laughable. And now God can turn around and cause you to laugh that God actually did it. What's the difference between laughing determining the destiny? Faith is what made the difference here. When we have something in our life where the situation is just, it's so bad, it's so impossible, it's so ridiculous, hearing the promise of God is just, it, it's almost it, 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 it brings a chuckle. But if we will take God at his word and we will believe his promise, as they said, who against hope believed in hope. That's what it says in Romans 4 about Abraham and Sarah. He staggered not at the promises of God. Are you, are you, when you read the, the, the promises of God, does it cause you to compare it with your situation and just laugh in unbelief? Like, man, I wish that were true. That's a great joke because that is the furthest thing from what's going on right now. But God wants us to know through the story of Abraham that if we will just have a little bit of faith, he can turn a laughable situation of unbelief into a belly laugh when the promise comes true. What an amazing story. 90 years old, this lady's having a baby, and she's saying, God hath made me to laugh. Yeah, I was laughing at God, but God's making, he's he's turning it around, and he's making me laugh that, man, you are right, you are true, and your promises are true. God says there is a time to laugh, and there are appropriate things for Christians to laugh at. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3, 4, a time to weep and a time to laugh a time to mourn, and a time to dance. One of the things that we should laugh at or the things that bring joy in the life of a Christian is when God comes through, right? When we believe his promise, God answers a prayer. Uh, We trust God, we live by faith, and that results in an unbelievable result. Uh, We need to have acceptable uh, humor, We need to have clean humor. Acceptable laughter is that humor which pleases God, godly humor. There is wicked humor, unclean humor, um, and uh, that's not for Christians to laugh at. But we can can have a good time laughing at clean jokes and clean humor. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. And the Bible also says... In Luke 6 and 45, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. 
for of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. We're going to see another character here in just a moment, but we can see that Sarah, when she laughed in the beginning, that was a laughter of unbelief because unbelief was in her heart. And then later when she has Isaac, she laughed out of joy because of the faith of, and the promise coming true because that faith and that joy of God was in her heart. So laughter, really, what we laugh at really says a lot about our heart condition. And this is one of the indicators that we can use on seeing whether or not our heart is really in tune with the Lord or not. Um, so next we see uh, the story kind of shifts. And it says in verse 7, and, and she said, Who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck? For I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Now we see the second half of the story here. Uh, we see Abraham's other son. Now, Abraham took a second wife. Her, her name was Hagar. She was from Egypt. She was an Egyptian. And this was an attempt at Abraham and Sarah. Now, this was actually Sarah's idea. We can see this a couple of chapters previous where we get to chapter 16 and verse 1. Now, Sarai, Abraham's wife, bare him no children. And she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. Sarah said unto Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing, I pray thee. Go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And then it says in verse 3 that they were husband and wife. So uh, he took Hagar as his second wife. This was an attempt for Sarah and Abraham to produce the promised child, but not according to the God's promise. They wanted the result of the promise. They wanted the blessing, but at this point, their faith was low, and they decided to try to figure it out on their own. We do that. All of us do. We want the blessing from God. We want the answer to prayer. We want to see the result. And God's path to the blessing is always paved with the promise. The promise is the ticket into his presence. The promise was the ticket for Abraham and Sarah to have the promised child through them, not through a second wife. So because of their mistake, they live with the mistake. Hagar continued to live there. Ishmael is the name of the, of the son. Ishmael continued to live there. He lived there for 13 years, maybe 15 years by this point in his life. And now we have the child of promise, which is Isaac, and the child of the flesh, which is called Ishmael, these two. And so it says in verse 9, And Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Now this is the laughter of mockery. It doesn't specifically say exactly what he was mocking or laughing about, but it says that he was mocking. 
a couple of verses is uh, in Ecclesiastes, it gives us a couple of verses about laughter. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 3 and 6. Verse 3 says, Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. And verse 6, for as the crackling of thorns under a pot, a kind of picture popcorn, right? So is the laughter of the fool. This also is vanity. Living for laughter is empty and foolish. Some people, all they do is live from laugh to laugh. They don't care how they get the laugh. They only want to, they don't ever want to think about anything that's serious. But substance requires seriousness. Let me say that once again. Living for laughter is empty and foolish, but substance requires seriousness. Some people never want to think about anything serious. They never want to think about their soul. They never want to think about what's going to happen to them when they die. And for some who are Christians, they've been born again. They've trusted Christ as their Savior. But they still want to live this very shallow, happy, laughter-filled life. And they never want to genuinely take serious things seriously. True joy is a result of taking what God calls serious, very serious. We can see with Sarah, the joy that she had as a brand new mother, not just being a mother, which, which brings joy, but also primarily how she obtained this blessing was through believing the promises. Now, believing a promise requires some sorrow. It requires some emotional distress, but she held to the promise and in holding, it cost her some emotional distress. She held to the promise promise, and that resulted in her joy. And most people, they don't, want, they don't want to have to pay the price of accepting the sorrow, accepting the discomfort, accepting the sacrifice, accepting the, the feeling of I, I have a promise and I have faith in the promise. They don't want that feeling. They only want the happy feeling. But the happy feeling comes after you have the sorrowful feeling. That's why it talks about sorrow is better than laughter. Right? Why? Is it better to be sad? No. Because oftentimes choosing the path of faith means you have to accept the cross before the crown. Jesus had to accept the cross before he got the throne of heaven. Right? Um, he had to pay the price first. And we have to do the same. We can learn a lesson from this about living for laughter is empty and foolish, but substance requires seriousness. And let me just say that people of substance are often laughed at by those who only want to live for laughter. Those who only want to live for vanity they only want to live for the here and now. And when they see somebody that is, listen, don't, don't miss this, guys. When unbelievers see a Christian that has real joy in their life, sometimes that draws mockery. That draws out the laughter of mockery because we paid the price. We've, we've accepted the sorrow, held on to the promise, and received the blessing. 
and we have real joy. Here's a really simple example. Really simple example. We've accepted the sorrow or we've accepted the discomfort or we've accepted the sacrifice of every Sunday getting up and going to church, participating in church, being a part, coming with a good attitude, singing, listening to the preaching, and by God's grace, trying to apply it to our lives. We've accepted that sacrifice and sorrow. And what does that do? Well, it results in a life of joy. There's a joy that can be explained. And when the world sees the Christian that's dedicated to church attendance, it can actually draw mockery. Don't let the mockery of the world, the laughter, the shallow, vain, empty laughter of the world draw you away from living a life of substance. Let me say that one more time. Do not let the shallow, empty laughter of the world draw you away from living a life of substance. Sarah here saw the mockery and said, that has got to be out. I'm trying to raise my son for the Lord. That has got to go. Now, this seems harsh. It doesn't give us a lot of explanation, but we can see where they cast out Hagar. Hagar was cast out. And it says in verse 9, And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. Now, a couple of things here. Hagar was not a slave as much as she was a bondwoman, meaning that perhaps she owed some kind of a debt. And so she was working there to pay off the debt. And uh, oftentimes, and there were different types of employment and different types of um, bond service, they called it back then. There were also there was also slavery back then, obviously, but it calls bondwoman here. All right. So generally, what that means is not that she was a slave. It means that she was someone who had owed a debt, right? And so potentially, when someone owes a debt, they could say, "I want to work for you for this many years, and if I pay off, and when I work for you for this many years, then the debt." is paid. And so basically the 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 master or the boss, not master, that's not a good word, but Abraham being kind of the boss would would for, he would um uh he would accept the debt and he would take on the debt and then the person would work the debt off. And so um in casting out Hagar, Hagar, he gave her her freedom. That's what we see here within the context. So even though it seems harsh in reality it gave Ishmael and Hagar an opportunity to go live their own life. They were free. Okay. Um, and we can see here that Ishmael laughed at Isaac when he mocked him. And this is the laughter of mockery. Laughter determined his fate. So what he laughed at resulted in him getting dismissed from the household. Now, in case we think that this is harsh, 
we'll see here in verse number 12, it says, And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad, and because of thy bondwoman. And all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And also of the son of the bondwoman, I will make a nation because he is thy seed. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child and sent her away. She departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. So God was in favor of this. Um, he was going to make a great nation out of Isaac, obviously the Jewish nation, from whom Jesus Christ would come, right? Uh, but also he promised Ishmael a, a promise as well. He was going to make of him a great nation. And this is where many Middle Eastern um, countries trace their lineage back to, right? In, the, in, in Islam, they, they trace... They go back to Ishmael instead of we as Christians and obviously as Jews go back to to Isaac. And so God kept his promise. Now, it's important for us to see, I I want us to see this. We've been looking at things from Sarah's perspective, from God's perspective on Abraham and Sarah. But I want us to take a bit of a shift here and look at it from Hagar and from Ishmael's perspective. And then we'll finish up. So Sarah insisted Ishmael and Hagar be dismissed. She would obtain her freedom and Ishmael his own influence aside from Isaac. They were still under the portion of the Abrahamic covenant as Ishmael was circumcised. So a portion of that covenant God was going to keep for Ishmael. We can see that Abraham was in emotional distress. It says in verse 11, and the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. But when there was emotional distress, growth often comes from emotional distress. Abraham got emotional healing by receiving God's promise for Ishmael. And this is how the Christian can get emotional healing when God intends growth through his promises. Now, let me explain that for a moment so we don't miss that incredible truth. Abraham, Abraham's wife is saying, get him out of here. They're gone. Abraham's distressed. This is his son. I mean, he's 15 years old. He loves him. So he goes to God with his emotional distress over what's happening. God gives him a promise. He says, let him go. I'm going to take care of him. He's still under the covenant. I'm going to make of him a great nation. I'm going to take care of him. Let him go. And so now, instead of Abraham holding on to his emotional distress, instead, God replaces the emotional distress with a promise. We can see this happening time and time again in Abraham's life. Guys, are you under emotional distress about something? Is there something in your life that's causing just genuine emotional turmoil? You're upset. You're frustrated. Maybe you're shattered, right? Because of the choices of others. Maybe a choice. And of course, Abraham is not an innocent bystander at all of this. It's his son. It's his second wife. It's his first wife. I mean, they're all mixed up. And man, family stress can be sometimes the the, the worst stress. But what do we need when we're in this emotional distress? We need a promise to hold on to. Ask God to give you a promise. Search the scriptures for a promise to hold on to. 
Oftentimes, all we do is we try to hold on to the emotional distress. We try to figure it out for ourselves. And guys, oftentimes, sometimes all we do is pray about it. And that sounds, and that may sound like a strange statement, but God wants us to do more than just pray. We can say that, we can see here where it says in verse 12, and God said unto Abraham. So Abraham was in communication with God. He's praying to God about this. And God says, okay, I hear you. Here's how, here's what you hold on to instead of the emotional distress. You hold on to the promise. Let me give you a promise. You need to have a promise for every emotional distress. If you're experiencing fear, you need a promise. If you're experiencing anxiety, you need a promise. If you're experiencing depression, you need a promise. Now, let me have a small caveat here. Sometimes you do need to go to the doctor if you're experiencing some emotional health issues because the body is not just a spirit. It is a body, a soul, and a spirit. And God gave us doctors, okay? Um, By word count, Luke wrote more of the New Testament than even the Apostle Paul. Now, he only wrote two books of the New Testament by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But he, he did write more words. And so we can see where Luke the physician, God is not against doctors. God is not against the medical profession. So keep that in mind when we're talking about all of these things. But when we're specifically talking about emotional and spiritual distress here, we need a promise for that. Okay, we need a promise for that. And if you feel like that, you're coming to the promises and there's something that's just not right. Ask God for wisdom. Perhaps you need to go to a doctor and discuss that because potentially there could be something physically wrong with you. Potentially there's some kind of chemical imbalance or something like that. So let me just make sure uh, that I mention that. Okay, and so Abraham was willing to let go because he had a promise. He was willing to grow from this emotional distress because he had a promise to hold on to. And I'm going to take a break right there. We're going to come back and finish this story next week in person at my house. Uh, if you guys are in the Toronto area and you're looking for a, a Bible study group, uh, please contact Sparrow Baptist Church and we would love to get you out. Um, we need to be a part of the community, uh, a Christian community. There is, we live in the age of content. Of course, you may be watching. This is content, listening to the audio recording. This is content. And we're thankful to be able to have these tools available. But it does not replace community. Community changes the content into an experience. And an experience will change your life. Content doesn't always change your life. Okay? When you have a Christian community that is striving together for the faith of the gospel... And you have the word of God, the Holy Spirit of God, and you mix that up, it will carry you. 
and help you. And you will have a brotherhood and a sisterhood that is helping to carry you through life and make you into a better Christian. And also, I love the fact that the accountability is built into it. Oftentimes, the motivation to practice Christianity the way God describes, the motivation is the hardest part. So by just dedicating yourself to a Bible study group, dedicating yourself to faithful church attendance, people expect you to be there and the motivation can be built in. They expect me to be there. You know what? It may be as simple as I just don't want them asking where I was. So I'm going to make myself go. Or, and of course, we we all want to grow into wanting to be there. Uh, and and so if you're listening to this and post-COVID and you're still a little bit distressed about attending church, um, can I suggest grab a promise Grab a promise. Allow the Lord to fuel your faith through his promise. Abraham had a choice to either react in emotional distress, fear, frustration, um, perhaps anger. I mean, it says that it was grievous, right? It was grieving his heart. But a promise brought a man from grief and from distress into a healthy place. And that's why God has given us his word. The word of God comforts us like nothing else. Guys, thanks so much for listening. I'm excited to see everybody on Sunday. Um, Pray for Sparrow Baptist Church if you're listening to this and you are uh, attending another church in another part of the world. And if anybody is listening and they are planning to immigrate to Canada, look us up. We would love to um, serve you in any way that that we can. Guys, thanks so much. We will see you next time.